this idea that there is an unlimited pool of 25-year-old women just waiting to be fertilized by men is totally absurd. All right, let's get into it. Today, we are talking about the over-sexualization of women and conversely, the under-sexualization of men. My guest today is Lily Boisvert. She is a columnist, journalist, and television host here in Montreal. And now, she's an author. She wrote the book, Screwed, How Women Are Set Up to Fail at Sex. In this episode, we talk about the passive role that women play in sex and the active role that men are expected to play in courtship and in sex and why that's problematic. We talk about how men wanting younger women shouldn't be seen as normal, but should be seen as what it is, a fetish, and why the patriarchy insists that you not sexualize men. This is an exciting interview. It's also explicit, and it's on concepts that Honestly, I had thought about, but hadn't ever really been able to articulate. And so I am so grateful that Lily wrote this book and that we were able to have this conversation about a fascinating topic. My name is Sean Galanos, and this is The Love Draft. Lily Boisvert. Lily, yeah. Why Lily, Lily Boisvert. Oui, yeah. Lily Boisvert. <laughs> <laughs> They will understand. <laughs> Lily, uh, could you introduce yourself, please? Yes, I'm a writer. I'm a TV host. I do a TV show which is called Sexplora. It's at Radio-Canada, the French CBC. Um, and I also have a web show called Les Brutes on Télé-Québec. And it's about feminism and social issues that are very dear to my generation, the millennials. <laughs> oh, nice. Yes. Technically, I'm still a millennial, mm. even though I might not look like it. How old are you? I'm 36. Yeah, that's still million. Okay, what, yeah, yeah. what's the cutoff? I think it's 37. Oh, thank now. God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not even like on the limit. <laughs> you also wrote a book. Yes. Called, well, it's, in English it's called Screwed, but it, but I think the working title, the title is The Cum Shot Principle. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what the principle is all about? The principle, the Cum Shot Principle is the way that we tell women in our culture, in our society, we tell women that they are the target of sex. So their body has to receive sex. They don't do sex. <laughs> they are done sex unto. <laughs> right. They're, the, they're screwed. They're screwed. They're not the ones doing the screwing. <laughs> no, exactly. And the men are the ones who uh, do sex. So women are just the, just like in a, in a come shut scene on a porno. That's the moment in the movie where the guy ejaculates on the woman's body. So it's the perfect image of heterosexuality sex for me because that's exactly how women are supposed to act, to just wait to receive sex. And men 
do sex and project their desire onto women. But women are not supposed to care too much about their own desires and men are not supposed to care about women's desire and our culture as a whole doesn't take women's desire very seriously. We we basically ignore it. We ignore its existence. But desire can come from within a person, of course. But If you don't try to entice it, if you don't try to make people feel desire, it's harder to feel it. <laughs> right. Well, one of the ideas is that men are sort of conditioned to desire women. Yes. We're, of course, heterosexual men will desire women naturally. But the thing is that we take this very seriously and we tell women that their identity should be, their goal in life should be to attract men with their bodies. And we don't do the same thing with men. We tell them that their identity is based on their capacity to feel desire and to get the woman the desire. Women should just make sure that their body are the most sexual, the most attractive, so that they will get a good pool of men attracted to them. And then they can pick the best one uh, as the future father of their child. <laughs> right, and the future provider of their life. Yes. So women should just put all their energy, all their resources on their physical appearance. And this helps men to, uh, to be attracted to women all the time. Because when you walk on the street, you just have to look around and then you will be enticed. You will, be, you will feel the desire. The, the, the sex is all over a woman's body because of the way we present our body, because of the way we're told we have to present our body all the time. This is in our clothes. This is in our hair. This is in our shoes. The way we will pose, the faces we will make. <laughs> We're always supposed to be cute and sexy and not too sexy. That's the thing with women. It's a very, very fine line because we we have to make sure that we remain pure because that's that's what we're really looking for in the Kamshat principle. We want women to start by being very pure. And then we want men with their sexual desire to vilify women with sex. That's what we're, we're really looking for. And that's how basically all mainstream porno is. It's all about the schoolgirl or the MILF. It's the pure woman or the pure little uh, adult um, teenager that we want to see beginning to be this uh, this pure woman, this pure girl, and end up being uh, a total slut because a penis happens. <laughs> and, and then, then she can't help herself. She, she can't help herself. She becomes crazy for sex. But at the beginning, we have to make sure that she's just this innocent schoolgirl or this loving mother of a child. And we don't... What's that about a MILF? I mean, we never see... We never see like women when they're pregnant in pornos. We don't... Like, I mean, there is there is pregnant Yeah, porn. there is, but that's more niche. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we just want the idea of purity and then bad sex happens and then women become sluts. <laughs> that's the path that women are supposed to follow. But that's so crazy because you cannot tell people, oh, you're pure, you're pure, make sure you're pure, make sure you never cross the line of, uh, of decency. But then if a 
if you have a penis in front of you, then you have to become extremely crazy about it. You have to be like all about sex. You have to show how much you feel desire, but it has to be all of a sudden. Right. We can't have that in the beginning. You can't walk on the street looking at men and desire men, desiring men. You can't undress women with your eye, uh, men with your eyes. You have to make sure that you evoke purity all the time. Right. And I think in your book, you said something like women aren't, aren't supposed to want sex until it's time to... To have sex. To have sex. Yes. Yeah. And that's a big problem when we want to talk about consent. The the fact that we want women to be very passive in sexuality right. is a very big problem when we also want to have consensual sex. And we're, we are talking a lot about consent right now, and right. that's a good thing. But as long as we keep telling women that they should be passive and that we keep telling men that women are supposed to be passive, it's normal if a woman is not using her eyes to look at you. It's okay if a woman is not active in sex, if she doesn't touch you, if she doesn't um, do actions <laughs> on to you, it's still okay. If she's very passive, if she's just lying there, it's okay. It doesn't mean she doesn't want to have sex with you. So you can still go for it until she's really uh, telling you to <laughs> get out. And right. it, it, as long as the woman is not defending her honor or pushing back, it's a green light. So, or pushing back, it's a very big problem. If we want to talk about consent, we cannot just say, oh, ask for consent. Because a the majority of people don't do that. The majority of people don't want to ask, do you want to have sex with me? And even when you do that, you still have the problem that the person can change her mind during <laughs> sex. So it's still not a very perfect solution. The perfect solution is that we change the way we see sex. We see the genders as women being passive and men being active. And we have to understand that everybody can be active and everybody can be passive and we can switch the roles. And this is all about reciprocity. We can talk about consent. That's a good thing. But we also have to talk about reciprocity. The fact that uh, women should do actions should participate in sex and should initiate sex. should initiate sex and should participate participate all all along while it's going on <laughs> this this kind of sex to me seems a lot more interesting mm -hmm. it's a lot more dynamic like when i'm just picturing to a, a man uh, so we we should also do the the caveat that the book that you wrote is uh it, it talks a lot about heterosexual talks all about pretty much except for some a few statistics heterosexual cisgendered Yes. sex and relations because that is the dominant relationship style in the world. Right exactly. Now. And even if you're not a heterosexual cisgender person, you still have all this pressure <laughs> that you're supposed to to act a certain way, right. even though it doesn't fit with necessarily your orientation or your identity. Right. We're still we're pressured and we're socialized and we're um what's the word? There was another word. Conditioned. Conditioned, yes. To act in certain scripts. Yes. Stereotypes. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of sex to me feels so much more interesting. Mm -hmm. A that I just see it as so much more dynamic and like I see both people as being active and, and passive and sort of switching that yeah. around. It, yeah, and when we say that, it, it men usually, when I say that, men usually react with, 
optimist <laughs> optimism uh, because yeah it seems like good sex <laughs> when everybody is enjoying themselves but the the when it, the optimism <laughs> stops is when I say that this cannot just happen just like that it has we have to prepare women and men to switch roles before that so men have to start seeing themselves as praise and have to act as praise as well so they should take care of their physical appearance much more and they should put less pressure on women to care about their physical appearance so much because the prey has to care about their appearance and the hunter not so much the hunter considers what he or she wants <laughs> to look at. Yeah. And we tell women, no, that's not your job to to look at men. But yeah, that's when men are usually not too comfortable with the the theory. <laughs> well, yeah, because what you're saying is <clears throat> this is all sort of built upon the the theory that that the prey, which are tr traditionally women, um, only have to really worry about looking good, which means mm -hmm. watching what you eat, exercising a lot, wearing uncomfortable clothing that, you know, mm -hmm. sexualizes parts of your body, but not too much because mm -hmm. you want to still be pure. And remain that, young. And remain so, remain young. Yeah, yeah, don't fucking get old. No. <laughs> don't get old. Don't have gray hair. Um, diet have, blonde. Yeah, diet blonde. Don't have kids. Don't have stretch marks. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of pressure that you're putting on a woman. And so to flip that script, we're also putting that on men, right? And, and traditionally, men have been you know as a hunter you're you're more evaluated on your skill and your prowess mm -hmm. to 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 prey yes. or to like to, 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 to hunt to hunt, to hunt yeah. prey yeah. and so that means uh, social status financial resources uh, wisdom and ability and much less concern on your physical appearance mm -hmm. right and so so it's like in the book you talk about Older men is, are seen as distinguished mm -hmm. and wise. Mm -hmm. And gray hair looks and is like... Even though biologically, men, just like women, degenerate. <laughs> we all degenerate. We have to accept that fact. Like biologically, it's true. <laughs> I was pissed when I, re when I read that, by the way. <laughs> but, but it can be compensated compensated by what we possess and by all this knowledge that we acquired while we're getting old <laughs> and there are good sides to getting old of course but with women we're so obsessed with their physical appearance that we only see the generating part <laughs> with men we even tell men oh men when they get older they get more good looking yeah and then we we say oh look at uh, george clooney he's an exception he's not the norm like and we <laughs> he's exceptionally good looking exactly <laughs> and he also probably really takes care of his body yeah yeah and but when when men get older they their sperm <laughs> has a less good quality it's harder to get erections there are a lot of problems as well that comes up with getting old even for men uh, but yeah we don't talk about that too much because we say oh but men have other things that they can put Uh, forward to attract women they can show their wealth they can show their uh, intelligence they can 
they have other things. But women, no, you don't have anything else. If you're not fertile anymore, if you're not at a peak, even that's that's another problem. We don't. We pretend that by the time you're 25, that's it. You're done. Like you cannot have children anymore, well, which is wrong. I mean, I think that <laughs> that seems to me really early. Like, yeah. I mean, I yeah. But we're but women were told like, oh, make sure you're having kids like right away. But men should be to- should be told the same thing because fertility in men decreases as well. Not at the same speed. That's true. But it does decrease. And men have a lot of fertility problems. It's uh, for women. For When a couple goes to uh, a fertility clinic, four out of 10 times, the, the infertility problem is, uh, is with the women. But three out of 10 times, the problem is with the men. And the other times, it's a combination of okay. factors. I was like, yeah. what about the other three? <laughs> yeah, it's a combination. But yeah, uh, so, so men are not... As much. Yeah, almost just as much as women. But we never tell women, uh, men to make kids like uh, uh, when you're, you're very, very young and that's it and you're getting old now, you should put your career uh, on the side and just focus on your family. We don't pressure women, men into that. We don't talk about how their sperm is getting old. No, never. But we... Well, we tell women that the clock is ticking all the time. Yes. They even actually say, like, I'm 36 and people are like, oh, don't worry, you got plenty of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hear this all the mm-hmm. time because I want kids. They're like, don't and, worry about it, you got plenty of and time. Even, even if we say this is true, men do can be fertile all their life, biologically, men with the andropause, it's not the same the same thing as with the menopause where it really stops. Uh, even if we say that, the this idea that there is an unlimited pool of 25-year-old women just waiting to be fertilized by men is totally absurd. There's not that many 25-years-old women out there in the world. But every man, it seems, thinks that, oh, it doesn't matter if I want a kid when I'm 45, I will get a 25 woman and then I'm all set. No! The 25-year-old woman mainly wants to be with the 25-year-old guys. Yeah. But well, yeah. It, it can happen. It can happen. But when we look at what women declare that they want, all their lives, women declare that they want men the same age, around the same age as they are. So a woman who is 25 will look for guys who are 25. A woman who is 45 on dating sites is looking for a a man who is uh, 45. But men, even though uh, as they grow old, they still look for women who are 25. And it's absurd. It is. It's absurd. Also, it is. you ju- will end up alone. <laughs> you, you will end up alone. And and like, I think just like developmentally mm-hmm. speaking, mm-hmm. like maturity wise, like between a 45 year old man and a 25 year old woman, like it's not a good fit. No, but the, the, um, it is a good fit if you're only if you're very tradi- traditionalist and all you care about is this d- dynamic where the man has the control, has the power in the couple, and the woman is the passive, submissive um, part of the duo. Who will who will have the kids and then raise yeah. the children. Yeah, and then look up to the man in her life and wait for him to tell her what to do with her life. <laughs> I mean, that does sound... I guess kind of easier if you're mm-hmm. looking for the easy road. Yeah. But it doesn't sound interesting. No. Although <laughs> to, although to a lot of men, of course, yeah. But I think to some men it, that that sounds controlling women is something they very much want to do. Mm. So, 
to one degree, I see that, that that could be like the easy way out, but it's also not equal and it's not interesting if you're wanting to co-create something yeah. that's like beautiful and long-lasting and like engaged. Mm-hmm. And my main argument is that even when you just take the biological argument, uh, what's optimal is still people the same age having kids together. Right. <laughs> that's still what is the best way if you want uh, your species to survive. Because then you maximize the number of people having kids. Oh, because if you look at the data, the data suggests that people generally look for people around their same age. What I'm saying is that if you if you <laughs> tell all the men to wait the longer to to find a woman who is younger, right. you will still only have a very young pool of women accessible. Right. So all these men will have lost their their time right <laughs> their time oh cool yeah i'm worried now <laughs> <laughs> no no <laughs> you can still have children you I have st- all I, your yeah, exactly. time <laughs> yeah i still got plenty of time we're just talking about other men <laughs> yes <laughs> um so yeah i really yeah i'm enjoying this conversation about like the passive role in courtship uh and then the active you know of of passive role of women, the active role of men. I met a woman recently in December who came up to me, who introduced herself to me at a party in such a manner that I found it very aggressive until I realized that she was doing exactly what I do mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. She wasn't. She didn't do anything out of the ordinary, but to me, I was like, wh- like why is this woman... A, why is she like... Why is she being so aggressive? Uh-huh. Now I'm in a position of having to like... Calm her down. <laughs> cal- not calm her down. Hey, calm down. Not calm her down, but like... Uh, React? Yeah, I had I, I had to... Because it wasn't like totally unwanted, but it wasn't... I didn't know if it was wanted yet. Like I didn't know how I felt about this person. So I found myself in a situation that most women find themselves in all the time. Mm-hmm. Of having to like not like ward off an advance or like sort of like... I don't know. I just felt really defensive. <laughs> And it was really weird. Yeah. And now we're dating. Ah, good. And she's also older than me. <laughs> ah, that's I like that story. <laughs> but yeah, I and I've been in that position also a couple of times. And when I say that, people uh, people un- understand that I'm a very aggressive woman. I go after men all the time. I'm I don't like most of the times. I have men going after me, but the few times I did it, the few times I went after men, it was a big deal also for me and for them. And they told me that it that's the first time some something like that is happening. And uh, and yeah, it's not we we notice it because it's not what we think is natural. <laughs> but yeah, I think we're we're getting there more and more. And even when we look at the Cougar stereotype, this idea that um, older women are now attracted to younger men and younger men are attracted to older women. Well, the statistics shows show that there are more cougars than before, but we still remain in the cum-shut principle in this uh, dynamic in a way because now younger men are going after older women as well. It's not it's not true that if the woman is older, that she will necessarily be the more aggressive in the in the seduction dynamic anymore. It used to be like that, but yeah, now the the traditionalist uh, way of creating <laughs> sexual tension remains. Yeah. So men have just have like sort of 
they've taken back control in the yeah. one area where <laughs> in the one area where they didn't have control. They've they've found a way to like take take back control and mm-hmm. to start seducing again. Mm-hmm. The, it, we're more open to this idea of a younger man with an older woman now, right? Yes. But nowhere near as open as we are as from older man to a younger no. woman. No, no, no. I mean that's just it's like not portrayed fact. that much in movies, and and that's interesting. Also, when we talk about the in the book about the Hollywood gap. We we see older actor with much younger actresses all the time, and they're not pictured as older men with younger women. They're just pictured as normalcy. Is that normalcy? Did you say? That just like yeah. It's yeah, just it's, it's just normal. normal. It, they're not. But if you see the opposite, an older woman with a younger man, then she will be labeled a cougar. And if it's in a movie, it will be a movie about an older woman with a younger man. The Graduate. Exactly. One, exactly. I, I can think of one <laughs> one movie. Yeah, they're not that many. <laughs> there must be a few more, but yeah. But generally speaking, it, it's not the norm. But the norm in Hollywood is that older men are with younger women. Yeah. And it's they don't get a label for that. So there's a label that exists. It's the Puma, but it's not very mainstream. So okay. I think we should talk about the Pumas more. <laughs> men who are attracted by much younger women. Yeah. So basically just men. Well, it's it's what I mean, it's what we're we're told is yeah. And, that, and that's what we're shown, and right? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it should be called a fetish because that's what it is. We don't see how it's a fetish because it's so mainstream, this habit of men wanting younger women. But it is a fetish. Right. It's it's what men are told you're, they're supposed to be attracted to. It's funny. You were talking earlier about um, how you personally have also like, you know, have like seduced men. Mm-hmm. I don't. You didn't use that word, but how you've like pursued men. Mm-hmm. And in your book, there's a story about how you uh, were sort of like empowering and like sort of like you know taking charge of of like your sexuality and your desires to have sex, which is sort of flipping the script a little bit mm-hmm. of of the cum shot principle. And then yet, at some point throughout the interactions, right? You met these. You met this guy or these guys. You brought them home. So you seduce them, and then at some point, it flipped back to the men sort of taking control again, and me being passive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, what what I thought was empowering only lasted for a couple of hours, and then when sex comes up, when sex happens, I'm still this this very stereotypical girl. I still become much more passive. And I was I was annoyed <laughs> at that situation. But yeah, it's it's very hard, even though I see it, even though I see myself becoming more passive, it's very hard to to fight this. And it I don't believe it's something that is biological or anything. I think it's just that the the men have this pressure to make sex happen. And so they go very they go faster and they go they want to go further and then I lose my momentum my active momentum and because they're scared they're scared to lose theirs they think like oh what if she changes her mind what if like I have to make this a sure thing I ha- what if I lose what if I lose my erection so get it while I can yeah exactly so men have this urge to make sense 
sex happens very fast. And so I'm not at the same level. And women are not at the same level when sex begins because because men's bodies is not eroticized as much as women's bodies in our culture. So when we take the clothes off, it, it doesn't mean the same thing. When women take their clothes off, it becomes this very erotic moment but when men take their take their clothes off it's not it it's not that erotic it's it doesn't turn women on that much because it's not a forbidden fruit men's body is not a forbidden fruit we're not not supposed to look at it we're not not supposed to we see them at the pool all the time we see them on the beaches we see them on social medias Um, and and not in a sexual way yeah i'm talking about the torso but even when we look down leg men's legs are not eroticized women's legs are eroticized uh even the the ass and the genitals in men it's considered comical it's funny. A penis is funny. A man's ass is funny. When you see a man's ass, it's how dare you? It's too try. <laughs> no, but it's true. Men will like moon uh, moon uh, cars that are passing by when they're kids, and it, it's supposed to be yeah funny. It's not supposed you're not supposed to be turned on by a man's ass. <laughs> right. So the the power, the erotic charge, is really not the same when sex begins, and men. And that there's also this problem that women know that their physical appearance played such a big part in seducing the men that once the clothes uh, come off, then you become very self-conscious, very self-aware because you're like, oh, I seduced him with the promise of, of something, but I had my bra on and I have I had my um, my heels on and my hair was in a specific way. So yeah, and you can hide your, your little bit of weight or this and that and now you're naked. So you become very self-conscious and, you, and that can turn you off because you're scared of the reaction of the men and and men don't have to think about that too much of course men can think about it but they, they didn't change their physical appearance that much to begin when when they woke up in the morning or when they prepared to go on the date of course a little bit like you would shave or something like that but it's it's really not a big deal you don't put makeup on you don't wear heels you don't wear bras you don't wear i what would be <laughs> like if i'm very I really hate bras. I'm going to say it. I really Great. hate bras. I think it's extremely uncomfortable, but it's a sex um, device. It's a sexy device that we use to entice men. And I think we will have equality when men will have bras for their penis and their testicles. So, yeah. To entice women? To entice women because we don't see men's penises in their clothes. So I think we should put that on our market. Okay. Bras so, for penises and testicles. And also to, very to tight. To attract and very tight, tight uh, clothes. Or we, or we start to sexualize <laughs> men's uh, breasts the way we do yes. to women so yes. so we we start to censor it on on social media yes i mean the, the idea that uh, you can post a, a topless woman a photo of a topless woman but photoshop male mm-hmm. nipples mm-hmm. on the nipples to bypass the censor is insane yes <laughs> Because it's it's the same thing. It's just that woman's breast is more, is developed, but anatomically, it's the same thing. Men have all the tissue that is needed to produce milk, just like women. And if we we um, give uh, pregnancy hormones to men, they will produce milk, even if they're cisgender men. So yeah, 
I Biologically, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's just that ours get bigger when we hit puberty because that's our biological role to feed babies. Yeah. But eventually. Eventually. <laughs> or not. Yeah. But that's, but, yeah, that's but the role. Men want to see women's breasts as something very sexual, even though that's not their goal. <laughs> we don't have breasts to uh, turn men on, but we, we created um, this censorship on women's breasts so that men are, remain attracted to women's breasts. And that's why a lot of people are against desexualization of women's breasts. It's because men are scared they will lose their erection and men, women are scared they will lose their power to create erections in men. But we used to say the same thing about legs, about women's legs. Women couldn't wear pants because that was, that was what men would do and women are supposed to wear skirts so we don't see their legs and so their body remains pure. It's a cultural thing because it it's not all over the globe that women's breasts are eroticized that much and it's not throughout history <laughs> that women's breasts has been censor censored right it's a very modern uh, western thing when we look at history and at the whole world we're very ethnocentric when we say that oh it's uh, biological it's all over the planet it has been like this for uh, the begin from the beginning of times that's not true that's right. not true anthropologists have shown that no uh, the majority of cultures in throughout histories didn't sexualize women's breasts free the nip free the nipple yeah free the <laughs> yeah <laughs> free the nip um i guess i'm i'm curious like there's a part in your book that, that sort of talks about why the patriarchy insists that women not treat men as se sex objects. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, just, I'm just so curious about that. <laughs> it's because men are too important. It takes a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of money uh, to attract the opposite sex with your body. You have to care about your body a lot you have to put it forward you have to buy things uh, clothes makeup cream eat, eat certain things eat certain things exercise a bunch or not eat certain things not eat a lot of things <laughs> not eat a lot you it takes a lot of uh, space in your brain you have to really think about that all the time and be wary of that it's a lot of work it's a lot of work and if men would put the same amount of work on their body Bodies, they couldn't put that on more important things like their careers or like um, knowing stuff. Uh, consolidating well. Yeah, consolidating well. Keeping women oppressed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so when we, we tell women that they have to do all those things just to attract men, then women are not putting all this energy and all this brain space <laughs> on more important things, more important things in a political uh, level. Or a virtuous, more virtuous yeah. use of resources even, and energy. Yeah. But I even mean like... Oh, at a political level, because if they, if they took power, then a whole bunch of men would lose power. Yes. And that cannot happen. That cannot happen. No, under, so, under no circumstances. Yes, and if you put women in this, in this uh, position, when they always have to wait for men's approval, and they always have to wait for men to look at them and 
focus all their energy on that, then you have the perfect scenario to remain them, to, to keep them in a submissive position. So that's ideal for the patriarchy. <laughs> it's ideal, yeah, because we can keep uh, wanting to screw younger women and we can keep amassing all and the resources. make older women feel inadequate right? when they could use their old... Listness, <laughs> yes. <laughs> to to when they can put it to more uh, virtuous goals, like you were saying before, to pursue political careers or to yeah get on the on the board or whatever they can. And also, side benefit: men could continue to have more orgasms. Yes, yes. Of course. Of Why would course. we want to give any of those up? <laughs> <laughs> the, the good thing with orgasm it's it, it's it, is that it's not it it shouldn't be like a fight <laughs> between who gets it like everyone can get one <laughs> in an ideal world but more than one yeah for more women than one. Yeah. men can too but it, there's a specific a specific way to you're showing me a book you have a book about yeah, that yeah multi-orgasmic ah see <laughs> yeah there's there are ways that you can have uh, multi-orgasms but th th that's funny because men usually say that when when I talk about the orgasm gap men always tell me oh but you women are multi-orgasmic but that's not all women you should understand that that's not all women that's a lot of women cannot have multiple orgasm. A lot of women cannot even have one orgasm. Right, so, let alone multiple. Yeah, so it's not that easy. It's not something that that is uh, that evens the even the fields, the playing even field, the playing yeah. fields. Yeah. yeah, that's not how it works. And when we we the studies that um, that really on uh, comptabilise les les études qui ont comptabilisé les orgasmes des gens. Oh, the, uh, the studies that studied uh... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, oh, when, the... when we look at the numbers, okay, the, the official numbers, <laughs> women have less orgasm orgasms than men. Yeah. And the the main reason for that is that we focus way too much on penetrative sex. The vaginal, the vaginal orgasm. Sex, the vaginal orgasm, the J-spot. We are obsessed with that because that's how we think sex should be for, for men and women because that's how you make a baby. But if you want to have women wanting to have sex, you have to give them orgasms because if women keep having sex Because if, if women keep having sex without having orgasm, they lose interest. That's what will happen. It's not That's that what interesting. Happens. It's not. It, yeah, it loses a lot of, it, of its interest. It becomes less interesting. Yeah. A lot of women will say that they still like sex even if they don't have orgasms. But it's a very big incentive. Trust me. Right. <laughs> We like orgasms. You heard it here. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, when, we, when we pretend that women orgasm through their vagina, uh, we we lose a lot of orgasms. <laughs> And when I say vagina, I mean what's going on inside the woman's body. The, the I mean the canal, canal. The canal, vaginal canal. Because when in English, we say vagina, even if we want to talk about vulvas. Vulvas is what is going on outside of the woman's body. It's, it's what we can actually see with our eyes. It's That's a good the, way to describe it. Yeah, it's the lips of the vulva and the clitoris and the le, le, the the pu pubic, pu pubic mound. The pubic mound. The, the vaginal opening. Yes, all of that. 
which is the exterior of the genitals, is what is more, the, it's the part that is the most unnerved. It, it's where you have the most, uh, you can get the most sensitive reaction. The right. vagina canal doesn't have that the same sensibility. Of course, it can still be very pleasurable for a woman to um, get penetrative sex. But if you want to give her an orgasm, it's not, it's absolutely not all the, the studies show it. It's not the most effective way to give an orgasm to a woman. So you're working, you're working against women orgasms if you focus so much on what's going on inside and you forget what is outside because that's, the most sensitive part. And I think the numbers are something like a quarter of women can have penetrative orgasms. But I think it also has a lot to do with the fact that the clitoris is being stimulated in other yes. ways. Yes. Most notably on like the pubic bone of, yes. of the, the giver. You can reach the clitoris but with penetrative sex. But if you do positions that don't do that and you completely forget about the clitoris, it will be harder. Like dog, harder. maybe doggy style is the problem yes. here. Yes. <laughs> it, it can be very fun, but it can be, um, how do you call that? Uh, Preliminaire. Right. That's the, the uh, it's like a appetizer. Yeah, it can be, the doggy style can be an appetizer for more. Something <laughs> that's more connected. Something yeah. that has more sensation. Exactly. Penetrative sex for women is very often a preliminary yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's a book, there's a book by Dr. Ian Kerner called She Comes First. And I love just the concept that like, of course, it's not, it's not like a race, you know, and it, it's not a tit for tat. But, but like you said, there's a lot of benefits to having orgasms. Yes. And, and like in. And if, even if the woman doesn't come first, because that, that's a good like message to get out there. It's a good message. But even if the woman doesn't come first, there's still things you can do after the men comes. Well, but <laughs> so men are just less interested in sex after they come. Yeah, but just as women. Women also, once we had orgasms, we're not that into it anymore. <laughs> we pretend we are so you can come. That's part of being nice when you're having sex. We, we're told we have to be nice. We're told that men have to have orgasms. But you're not told the same. You're told, ah, oh, once you have your orgasm, if the woman didn't come, then ah, just too bad. Well, <laughs> Why? Who, who knew if they was going to have one anyway? It's too complicated. You know, maybe... It's the elusive female orgasm. Yeah, and I don't know then how it you works. have to go hide in the bathroom and masturbate. But don't hide. You could just do it right here. I can help you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's another option. <laughs> that's that's the that's the other option, right? Is that like we can help our partners have orgasms. Mm -hmm. And another important thing to say about uh, orgasms and the clitoris and vaginal sex is uh, when we talk about masturbation in movies and in porno a lot, we will see women penetrating themselves a lot when they masturbate. But in when you look at the studies, the vast, vast majority of women, I think I'm not sure about the, per the exact percentage, but I think it's something like 95% of women don't penetrate their vagina when they masturbate. I've never seen... I mean, I've seen some women masturbate, like not in porn, and I've mm. never seen yeah, them penetrate Yeah, it, it doesn't themselves. come naturally to yeah. penetrate like, yourself when you masturbate because right. we know, we instant, instinctively know that it's more efficient to concentrate on what's going on outside your vagina. But but the majority of women, when they, we, when they say in studies that they don't, 
penetrate themselves, also say that they think they're not normal to not penetrate themselves. Women think oh. that other women penetrate themselves and they are the only one not doing it. But yeah, we should know <laughs> that we should get that out there. Women don't penetrate themselves when they masturbate. And it means that you're normal. You're normal. You're normal. <laughs> you can if you want to, but it's absolutely normal if you don't. And if you don't come from penetrative sex, also normal. Also normal. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I give free love advice on Fridays on Instagram. And this woman said, my husband is upset that I can't come from penetrative sex. Mm. Yeah, a lot, uh, yeah. And but, I find that so sad. Yeah, but that's because he uh, he was he learned how sexuality works from porn, probably, or from high school teachers who were pretending that this is how it should be. But this also comes from the fact that we're we want to see sex as only the way to make babies. We want to see sex as the reproductive act. But it's not just that. Of course, if you want to have a baby, you should do penetrative sex, of course. Yeah. But sex is also a way we socialize. It's also a way to create connections with other people. It's also a way to show you care. So if you... It's because we're a gregarian species. We have to have connections. We so community. we use sex. We need community. And we need sex in order to maintain that community <laughs> together. And to raise babies, it's good to be two people. Because if you only have one parent, the, the chances, the survival chances of the babies decrease. So it's better to have two parents. So sex is good for that as well, to maintain people together, right. to help the species <laughs> survive even after the babies are born. I mean, we, we know it's not just for reproductive mm -hmm. uses. We know that it's also like for connection and to give pleasure, which means that we should focus on having sex that is pleasurable to both parties, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And to have a more connected, dynamic sexual experience. Yes. I mean, you said... Uh, in your book, sort of that that there's a lot of examples, you know, about the cum shop principle and about the different expectations that men and women have, but there aren't a lot of solutions to how we can start dismantling the cum shop principle. And I, I suspect that one of those is find ways to have more connected sex with your partner that includes mm -hmm. uh, more orgasms, more discussion, more uh, reciprocity, I think is yeah. the word that you use. Um, I don't talk about communications, honestly. <laughs> I, I'm sure you 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 promote that. But I, I don't care too much for communication <laughs> in sex. Uh, I know that's a, that's not a good thing to say. But that's fine. <laughs> that is the thing that you are saying right but now. But I, I think that men should be told more. Everybody, actually everybody, even women, like everybody should be more educated about sex. But to talk about it, I don't think it helps that much. <laughs> but telling somebody is a form of communication. Yeah, but it, it, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, more yeah. of a directive. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think it shouldn't rely on the woman's shoulder to tell the men what to do in order for her to have an orgasm. I think we should stop lying to men about what make a woman come right. and what make women feel desire the 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 biggest problem is that we tell men there's a magic button on women's body that you can just press and that will generate an orgasm you only have to find that button 
And then it will magically, she will magically become a sex slave and very, right. yeah. Not true? Not true. Aww. There's no <laughs> magical button. and There is there, a clitoris. There, there is a, yeah, but it, it, if the woman is not turned on before you press her clitoris, oh. it won't work. It won't work. That's a big problem. We forget women's brains. We have brains. And you have to make sure that we want sex in our brains before you start touching our bodies. Sure. But we don't tell men that because no. then men have to think about themselves as praise. Yeah, and <laughs> it sounds also like more work. Yes, probably. And, and that, like, <laughs> I, generally speaking... And then you will be able to read less books and play less games on and, your computer. Right, consolidate and, yeah. less wealth. And exactly. That's, that's less interesting. <laughs> I'm more concerned with just keeping it going the way it's going. Mm-hmm. Did, did that insert a question? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, th- these are these are, <laughs> <laughs> these are talking points that are that are meant to elicit conversation. Do you want to talk about grimacing women in pornos? Oh yeah, we could talk about. But before we talk about grimacing women in pornos, which I think is really interesting, and I have a, an anecdote about that. the The point I was wanting to make about the she comes first thing that I totally forgot is that no, it's not your fault. Is that we describe. Anything having to do with outside, right? So like the vul- vulva play as foreplay. Exactly. And then the the main course being intercourse, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't lead really, is not the answer to women's pleasure, no. right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's an avenue and it's like not the most efficient way. And so he, what he says in his book is that we should really call foreplay, we should call it outer play. Ah, because that, it, yeah, that's a good solution. It's more descriptive of actually what's happening, mm-hmm. and it doesn't place this uh, undue uh, importance. Uh, it's like a, yeah, it's like a hierarchy that we that we present heterosexual. We say, and and also that that's what I was talking about when I say like even if you're not heterosexual, you still have to comply with these ideas. Like what what you do is not real sex. If you're a lesbian, uh, that's not real sex. If you don't use a dildo to penetrate your partner, oh no no no, you're just you're just foreplay. having foreplay. Yeah, all night that's long, crazy with a ton of orgasm, <laughs> more orgasms exactly. than heterosexual women. That's what you're doing that's crazy (laughs) so yeah we have to get rid of all these uh dated concepts of foreplay foreplay is a dated concept and i understand that it was very important before maybe like for my grandmother that wasn't concept that was important so that her husband don't just start penetrating her all of a sudden so there could be some lubricant she could be wet a little bit exactly that i understand that used to be very important but i think now we're past that now we know women have to be lubricated before you start having penetrative sex but if she doesn't come during penetrative sex, you can do outer play after. Yeah. Or you can do outer play during or anything. Like, yeah, so many things can happen. Outer we, course, inner course. We have to use our imagination more when, uh, regarding sex. Yeah. I'm into it. Good. <laughs> Everybody else, are you guys into it? <laughs> are you people into it? Um, so the concept that women are expected to scream, moan, and grimace during sex, whereas men, I mean, that, that, that expectation is certainly not there, and what those effects are on sexual relations. Yeah, that's a big part of the Kamshat principle, and it's something we never talk about. We pretend that it's completely natural that women will moan and be like, ah, ah, ah! It, it, it's totally, it's not fake. Okay, let's 
let's be clear, it's not necessarily fake, but it's something that we do because we know we have to, we're supposed to do that. We don't have to make like all these faces and bite our lips and do all these things. We do that to uh, turn men on. We do that to feel we're adequate. We do that maybe even just by because we're mimicking what we saw in uh, movies and in pornos and even in Arlequin, mo- uh, Arlequin books. We, when, when it's described, like she couldn't help herself, but... Uh, da, 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 da. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she was moved to moan. Yeah, so of course it, there's a spontaneous... Um, um, Exclamations of pleasure and joy. Yes, yes. But it's not, it doesn't make sense that only women can be, can moan spontaneously when men won't moan spontaneously. It's not normal that men are completely silent and women do, we put on a show. (laughs) And when we don't do it, men get a little bit scared. Like, what's what's going on? (laughs) How come you're not moaning? Am I performing? Yeah. We do that to comfort men in a way. And to communicate. That's a way of communicating. Oh, I like what you're doing. Like, I'm going to moan, so you keep doing it. (laughs) That's a way we communicate. We don't necessarily have to use words. But that shows us how passive we see women. We don't expect women to act uh, in sex. We expect them to react to sex. We expect them to communicate to men, oh, that's a good thing you're doing right now, so I'm going to uh, moan. I'm going to reinforce. Yeah, and the f- and while we're doing it, uh, we're ter- also turning men on us at the same time. But men can turn women on by making sounds and grim- grimaces. And, yeah. Yeah, men can do that too. But if you don't do it, that's an erotic... Um, charge that you don't give us. <laughs> Does that turn you on when men moan? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when, yeah, anything. <laughs> when they make faces or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because... Because we're visual too. That's a big lie. When we say, oh, men are visual, women are not visual. That's a total lie. Women are visual. It's just that we need to have something to see in order to react to what we see. In order to feel the, the sexual charge. You yeah, have my, to give us this sexual charge. <laughs> uh, this woman that I'm seeing was like, yeah, you, you, she was talking about me not really being that expressive during sex. Mm. And so now I'm going to learn how to be more expressive during <laughs> sex. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to I'm going to learn. Uh-huh. Yeah, but, and you don't have that many models. That's a problem also because when you watch porn, men don't they don't do too much. You don't even <laughs> see the guy, really. Yeah, and that's because I'm told a lot a lot that men are objectified in porno. What I always replied to that is that it, when we because the argument is that we only see men's penis we only see the penis uh, doing this so movement we're objectifying and, yeah. the penis. so we're objectifying men by reducing them to their penis but what porno makers are actually doing when they're doing that is that they're thinking about the man at home they're thinking about him masturbating to this porno so he has to be able to project himself in that penis penetrating that woman that we see so the camera focuses on the woman's body so that men 
the men at home can focus on the woman's body and not be um, his attention, not be too um, distracted by the man who's in there <laughs> so he can feel he's there. So this is subjectification. This is not objectification. It's exactly what subjectification is. You care about the man and his desire and his sexuality, not the actor in a porno, but the real man at home. Right. So that's also why porn is made is made a lot with uh, for men. We say that that porno is is uh, mostly consumed by men, but that's a, a vicious cycle. Uh, that's a vicious cycle. The fact that we say, "Oh, men watch porn," so we have to make porn that um, men can project themselves into. Yes, that's true. But there's a growing market with women watching porno. And when we don't see the men in the porno, or if you only put very ugly men, <laughs> they're very average looking guys. Of course, the woman won't feel too, she won't feel like this is made for her. <laughs> Most of the time she will feel like, oh, I'm watching something that was made for men. So it's not all about penis size? It's not all about penis size. You would size. like to look at a nice a nice, a nice male, face. We a like nice, nice faces face. <laughs> as well. <laughs> yes. A nice, a but, nice male uh, model would course, be nice. Of course, uh, the like penises are important. The women can be turned on by penises, but if you just give us that and there's no sound, there's no like male sound, male voices or anything. Yeah, it, it, you just reduce the scope of what we can get turned on by. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. There's a Give growing, us more. There's a growing market out there. <laughs> I mean, there, I think there are... When we like, think about me, uh, female porno, we think, oh, it should be soft. That's not what it means. We, of course, we can want soft porn, porn, but we can also want hard porn. It, it, it don't like Women cannot be put in this box like, oh, this is for a female because it's very soft. That's not a good answer. <laughs> we should have a, a wider range of things that are made uh, with with our desire in mind. Yeah, with the mm. audience in mind. I mean, I think some some of that is happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. It is. There's definitely like feminist porn and, and mm -hmm. a lot of like female producers and directors that are that are going there. But again, it must be like a drop in the bucket of of what's actually being produced. Yeah, it's not mainstream. It's not mainstream. Mm -hmm. You have to look for it. Let's get it mainstream. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one last question for you. Uh, and it has to do with because uh, we're talking about objectifying. And so I want to touch on what does it mean to objectify somebody? Mm -hmm. And like, how does that play into the whole? Yeah, a lot of people think that when we see, uh, when we say, oh, this person is sexy, we're objectifying the person. That's not necessarily true. It's not as soon as you feel someone is sexy, as soon as you're attracted to someone, it doesn't mean you're objectifying them. Objectification is when you reduce someone to what you feel towards them. It's when you, you think, oh, I'm seeing a beautiful woman, so I'm turned on, so she wanted me to turn on. That is her identity. Her identity is trying to make me um, sexually aroused. That that's her it, job. That's her job. That's what she was put on earth to do. <laughs> that's objectifying. That's, that's objectifying. turning a human into an object. Yes. And its sole purpose is to yes. whatever that purpose it, is. But in this getting, case, it's forgetting that the woman is a human being, and she didn't necessarily want you 
to be turned on by her. Maybe she was thinking about another man she wanted to turn on. Maybe she wasn't even thinking about that. Maybe she's a lesbian. Maybe she doesn't have sex at all. Maybe she has no desires. She's a sexual. You don't know. That's the thing. So you cannot act on her as though uh, this is because you feel um, attraction that she's uh, she's responsible for that. She's right. not responsible for that. You're responsible for your own desire. So the, the difference when you objectify someone and when you, you just uh, find someone sexy is do you recognize that this person has her own mind, has her own sexuality and is not necessarily attracted to you? You have to... Um, You have to engage with her in a normal way, not as if she owes you something because you find her attractive. Right. And that's that's objectification. And yes, men can be objectified. It can happen that a woman will treat a man uh, only in a sexual way. And we can even argue that a one-night stand is objectification. Let's say if a man and woman meet uh, in a... In a Tinder bar. Or in a Tinder bar. (laughs) Yeah. And then they only want sex and they are both reducing each other to their, what they feel on a sexual level. Then this is objectification. But it doesn't necessarily harm people. Consensual, reciprocal objectification. Exactly. Exactly. Why not? (laughs) If that's what everybody wants. So, yeah, men men can objectify women. Women can objectify men. But the big difference, and that's what the Kamshat principle is about, it's the fact that on a cultural level, when we look at what we do collectively, is that we objectify women collectively. We tend to think that women are on earth so that women so that men are turned on by them that's their role on earth it's it's to turn men on and then satisfy men that are turned on by them this is this this is extremely problematic very limiting very limiting and <laughs> this is a big problem in our society and this is uh, to me the root of inequality in our society the fact that we reduce women to uh people who are on who are on earth so that men can ejaculate <laughs> this is crazy yeah. but we keep telling this story over and over and over and so yeah women are objectified as a whole as a gendered we're objectified even though even though like you, uh, of course a guy can can see women as uh, human beings but he's still told and the 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 um, cultural product that he will consume will still tell him that women are sex objects all the time and fashion fashion is one thing we usually forget when we talk about objectification we only want to see objectification as the very obvious things the a picture of a woman naked uh, f- so you can try to sell a car or right. barely barely dressed or but it's not just that it's even it, it's even in the the simplest little things that we do the fact that women will dye their hair when they will get gray this is objectification because we don't expect men to do the same so we tell women this is what you have to do so that men can feel turned on 
and we don't look, do re- look great with gray hair. By the way, I think we look great it's with gray a, hair. It's on fashion right now. It, it's, oh, okay, uh, it's on yeah, trend. They're, okay. they're even like women buying uh, gray. Um... No, don't gray your hair. <laughs> don't dye your hair gray. I mean, whatever, do whatever you want. But I think I think women that like that are confidently gray. That's the mm. thing because because we're not we're not. I mean, women are taught or told that they look good with gray hair. Yeah. But I want to say that you do look good with mm-hmm. gray hair and, mm-hmm. and you should rock your gray hair. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's one... Power s- to gray hair. Yeah, power to gray hair. Also, <laughs> power to women. Uh, that's one small step, you know, towards sort of like reducing some of these inequalities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess, actually, I lied. I have another question. Oh. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to lie. <laughs> I'm very offended. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. What can... I mean, I know that the book doesn't talk about the solutions to this thing, to, to this epidemic. Mm-hmm. What... Anyways, I'm going to ask sorry. you... Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have a lot of solutions. <laughs> I only have the problem. <laughs> okay. What, but okay. What can we come up with maybe that is like a good starting point for some of this... Yeah. Some of this dismantling that that could be beneficial. The easy answer is always education. We should, and there's a lot of talk about that, about how we can educate kids now. But the when what we forget when we say that is that so many adults, like the vast majority of adults, need education as well regarding sexuality. So yeah, education is one thing, and. Uh, awareness. We have to start with awareness because, of course, we cannot necessarily change our fetishes. If if you're a 50-year-old French guy, French intellectual who has a fetish of 25-year-old Asian women, of course, it's very hard to change it like <laughs> just like that. But when you, you're conscious that this is a fetish. This is not necessarily biological. This is not necessarily um, something that is... Uh, the norm. Yeah. Uh, then then you won't uh, participate in trying to make this a fetish for other people as well. <laughs> I think that's a... Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. If you're not like, oh, I'm attracted to like women with big boobs. If you're not talking about it so much i think that's a that's a something that men do that puts a lot of that put a lot of pressure on women all the time is talking about women's physical appearance all the time in front of women (laughs) that's something men can should really stop like being being superficial in a very uh as as if it's totally normal totally normal women don't do that we don't talk that much about men's physical appearance in front of men we feel ashamed <laughs> to do that i mean it's 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 sort of it's inappropriate it's inappropriate yeah. if a woman does it but it's seems... no it's it's inappropriate whoever is doing yeah, it yeah but it seems normal when a guy does it and it's even it's even portrayed as something that men should do so women will feel insecure when they hear them when oh. they hear men talking about other pretty women they will feel insecure and then they will try to oh. make them even sexier that's so sad yes but it happens all the time so yeah if we can or okay maybe men won't stop doing that but women we can start shaming men when they do it yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's my solution. Well, that's also placing more burden on women to do more yeah, of the emotional labor. I know, I know. But yeah, we should change this generation and it's, then maybe the next won't do it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but it, but what I think what you said in your book is that it's not just up to women. And what you said um, while we were talking is not just up to women to start to correct men, but for mm-hmm. men to start looking at this behavior, start looking at 
how this is yeah. showing up in the world. A great place to start is to read the fucking book because there's a <laughs> lot of examples and um, and we have work to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I think it, it, I'm defeatist when I... Defeatist? Can I say that? Defeatist. I, I think I'm defeatist when I say that, oh, men won't change. Like, women have to shame men. <laughs> but that's not true because there are a lot of men that do understand and that do get that there are problems with the way we we portray sex and the way we do sex right now. Uh, there's just not enough. But yeah, men who want to help can, like, Talk to other men. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good solution. That is a good solution. Mm-hmm. I try to talk to other men. Good. <laughs> through this podcast, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they listen. <laughs> uh, where can we find your book? Uh, in every store, I think, on- online. I'm sorry. I don't have an answer prepared. <laughs> Amazon? Amazon, yes. Okay. On Amazon. <laughs> That's usually the answer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I, I, I think it's in bookstores, but in English, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if well you can find it online. Uh, yeah, you can find it online. And and I think maybe on your website. I don't have a website. Oh, okay. Well, where can we find out about you? You don't have a website. That's wild. I, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've just never interviewed anybody who doesn't have a website. Oh, really? I'm ex- I, I'm excited. I guess on my Facebook page, people can reach me. Yeah. I'll have Facebook links page. for all this okay. stuff. But your okay. book is available online. And it's available mm-hmm. in stores in mm-hmm. French. Yes. In Quebec. Yes. I'm not very capitalist, I realize. I'm not good at marketing myself. I don't have a website. I don't know where my book is. I mean, if you're, how are you going to consolidate wealth? Yeah. How am I going to do this? I should get on it. Some man will help you, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> nice man. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you, Lovebirds, for spending this hour with me this week. It means so much to me. If you want to find out more about me or my coaching services, or if you want detailed show notes about this episode, go to thelovedrive.com. Have an amazing week.